Let's pray. Lord, thank you for another week, for bringing us together. Thank you for your plan and purpose for our lives. Thank you for healing Jolene in uh, every way. Thank you for life and life more abundantly. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to open up the eyes of our understanding and filling us with light and helping us to understand your perfect will and plan and and desires for us. And we, Lord, we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are to the book of Colossians. We're right on track even. <laughs> After four weeks, I'm still on track, which is a miracle, except we're only doing one chapter a week, so if I don't, can't do that, then we're in trouble. So we're going to talk about the Colossians. We're going to do the overview, and then over the next four weeks, we will be having um, be talking about that. So the book of Colossians, where and when it was written. Um, it is it was written about probably almost the exact same time as Ephesians and Philippians. Uh, it was while he was in prison, he was he apparently had a lot of time on his hands. And so he was because he couldn't travel, he uh, was writing um, and keeping in touch with the churches that way. So it was written from Rome during the imprisonment and about 62 AD, same same time and place. So to whom was it written? It was written to the church in Colossae. Colossae uh, was uh, another one of those towns that was inhabited uh, mostly by Gentiles. There was... Uh, um, there were also some Jews who were there, but it was a primarily Gentile or non-Jewish population. The interesting thing about Colossae was this, that Paul never went there. It was a place that he was had not been to, but because it was close to Philippi, he, he knew people from there. The, the church... Uh, people would come to come to uh, Philippi while he when he was there. He met them. He knew them, and so he knew of the church there, and they corresponded back and forth. And so this book was written to someone he did not visit, and so uh, but it had some of the same things going on uh, that the other churches did. But the struggles here were a little bit different. Same same devil, little bit different uh, specifics. The town of Colossae was at the time, had once been of considerable uh, significance, but at the time when this was written, its importance was on the wane. It was a, it used to be a large city, now it was getting smaller, uh, so it was not like uh, Rome, obviously, but it was also not like uh, Galatia. Uh, the Galatia, when he wrote to the Galatians, Galatia was the was the crossroad of the world at that point. That's that was the 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 hub of all uh, commerce and travel and everything was was uh, Galatia, but Colossae was not. It was it was on, kind of on the fringes, and it was on in, uh, its its importance was on the decline. Um, so Paul had never visited Colossae, but he had spent a considerable amount of time with the Ephesians, and so he met a lot of the people from there. It's about 100 miles to the east, um, but, which is close enough for people to travel, to come in here, uh, to to definitely have an influence, for him to have an influence on their church. The founder of the church of Colossae was Epaphras. Epaphras uh, is mentioned a couple times in the New Testament. He was a significant leader. He was not a he was not an apostle. He was not a disciple, an original disciple of Jesus, but he was a significant leader, and he is mentioned a number of times. I shouldn't say a number, a few times in the New Testament. And this uh, much or some of what is is mentioned here in um, Colossians is directed to Epaphras and the, his household. Um, so why was it written? It was written when Epaphras arrived in, in Rome. He brought with him 
uh, disturbing news from the Christian community in Colossae that non-Christian teachings were circulating within the church. And so um, Galatia, Ephesus, a little bit in, in, in uh, the Philippian church, it was more the Jewish influence that was the problem. Here we're going to see that it is not. They still had an, a Jewish community there, but the the main uh, problem that was coming into the church was not from the Jewish synagogue, but from an, another source, and we'll talk about that specifically. The non-Christian teachings were, first of all, uh, called syncretism. Syncretism. S-Y-N-C-R-E. T-I-S-M, syncretism, which I did not know what that was. I had never heard that before, syncretism. Syncretism um, in any religion is when you take two religions and you join them together and make one out of it. So it can still happen today with whatever if you take two and you you meld it together. Um, What they were doing is they were melding Jewish and Gentile beliefs and practices, um, creating a hybrid religion that no longer resembled true Christianity. So it wasn't that they were just trying to add um, uh, circumcision or you know following the law. They were actually joining the two religions and calling it one, which obviously was not the case. It was not. It was not a uh, valid, obviously, uh, um, answer or or religious. But more specifically, and here's the one that. Is we're going to spend some time on tonight was the heresy taking root in Colossae was a form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism um, taught, among other things, that humans could transcend evil and the corruptions of the world through uh, asceticism. And uh, you, do you know what asceticism is? Asceticism is what the monks did. They they denied themselves. They they, uh, they, they cloistered themselves, they, they refrained from certain kinds of foods, they, they refrained from talking, they, retrained, they refrained from, from uh, uh, marriage, marital relationships, they, whatever they felt was not pure, they would refrain from it. So, and different people would refrain from different things. It wasn't always just a set, uh, single thing. They, different people would as they felt led. Is that like, uh, I know in Catholicism, isn't there like certain little sections of it where they're like with themselves and things? Oh, absolutely. Is that part of that? Yes. Asceticism was anything that was self-denial, and then the extreme cases would go to, to, uh, um, well, they call them flagellations, where they would beat themselves with rods and and whips and, and... do different things. Have you ever any of you ever seen the movie uh, um, the Da Vinci Code? That's the one I was thinking. Yeah, about. and he puts on his leg. Yeah, you know. and they would they would do things like that, but but it never had, you know that was the extremes. Obviously, there was there's always extremes with every group of people that you're going to get in touch with, but um, even you know the priests the priests of the Catholic Church is is an ascetic or ascetic. Lifestyle where they deny themselves marriage, they deny themselves, uh, they you know take vows of poverty, they they may even take vows of silence, they may you know whatever it may be. That but that they use those things to transcend evil. That they're going that they themselves, which obviously right off the bat is a problem, and because that doesn't that isn't what solves the problem. That isn't what gets rid of sin. What gets rid of sin is the blood of Christ, and obviously that's that's where the answer truly lies. Um, and their own strength of will. The Gnostics believed that they could essentially ignore the world and follow their own desires and impulses. So Paul wrote that, that to the Colossian church to warn them away from error and to reiterate the importance of the Christian ethic. So, I want to go into more depth with Gnosticism because it's even deeper than that. And the, the, the interesting thing is you start recognizing some other things that are not so foreign to belief systems today. Not our belief systems, 
But there are people out there that, that live this way and think this. And we understand where the problem comes in. Because the, the bulk of Colossians is, is dealing with the heresy of Gnosticism. And much of what Paul wrote was directly talking to that. And so when we understand why he was writing it, and, and why, what, what was the problem? The problem was Gnosticism. Then some of the things that he says, you go, oh my gosh, that's what he was talking about. Rather than coming at it from, oh, well, he must be saying this, coming from our perspective of, of life right today, we need, we, it helps us to understand that. All right, so Gnosticism comes from the word gnosis, which means to know. Gnosticism was a philosophical system built on Greek philosophy. That's where it began. But then from there, they, it was translated and then it would start mixing. That, that whole uh, that word syncretism. Syncretism, they would start mixing philosophy with Christianity or philosophy with Judaism or philosophy with whatever with that Greek influence, Then, which, you know, in... in, in Human terms make sense. We are a knowledge-based being. We, we do know and we do understand. And we have a desire and a thirst to know. But not everything, not everything can be known. Not everything can be known fully. Something, many things have to be taken by faith. Um, this, go ahead. Bible Encyclopedia said it had um, always to do with Asian influence too. Eastern? Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that too. There, there is a flavor of it that has its, you know, it, it has an Asian influence, which really leads to eventually, and we'll talk about this in, in, in just a little bit, um, it's nothing new. It's, it's new age. It's, it's really a new age philosophical, you know, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. So, uh, it added a Christian flavor when Christ impacted the world. The promoters of that ancient view were Simon Magnus, Marcion. Remember, remember Marcion? When we were talking about the canonization of the Bible, Marcion was one of the guys who came out and said, um, These, this is the right canon. Not all the books are, are uh, correct. The reason he said that was he didn't believe in Christ. He believed that Christ was someone who was a stepping stone to what he believed. And so he used that, and it was a form, what he was teaching was a form of Gnosticism. And we'll get more on in specifically what Gnosticism believed in just a moment. But he's one of them. And then another guy, Saturnius, Certhinius, Balsley, blah, blah, blah. A lot of different names. A bunch of people taught the, these teachings. Gnosticism was built on Greek philosophy that taught that matter was evil, so anything physical is evil, and the spirit was good. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being absolutely wrong and 10 being absolutely right, where does that land on that scale, that the physical is evil and the spirit is good. At face value, how does where does that land? Fine. Are negative numbers allowed? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a little truth to it um, because we all have sin, you know, passed <coughs> down, mm-hmm. and um, and our natural self doesn't want to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And it's the spirit that's born again, not our physical flesh. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that that it, it has flavors of correctness, of, mm-hmm. you know, being correct. Any other thoughts on that? There are times when our own thoughts, though, are worse than our actions too. So what mm-hmm. actually materializes physically sometimes is a little more stabilizing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it can kind of go the other way, sure. As well, yeah, kind of half and half. Not all our thoughts are necessarily ours, as Dennis and Kathy will say that. Yeah, and I kind of thought that too. I thought kind of like a five. I mean, it's you know, the things of this world are corrupted. The flesh is corrupted. It's so that's observable. So when we 
when we when we look at this at this so, so so say somebody walked in here and said hey I want to teach you about God and I'm coming at it from that that the the things of the flesh are evil well we couldn't argue with that we couldn't deny that fact and that the things of the spirit are good well we could say that too yes spirit? obviously what spirit but but if it was just that teaching we would have to go mm, yeah okay I'm sort of okay with it but then what where they led where, where all of them then led beyond that is where it becomes more and more clear but I, I, I really pointed I wanted to point that out because that's the root of Gnosticism and so at the root when you looked at the root it's like okay I might be able to buy that the thing is the hardest lie to to judge is the one that has some partial truth. Mm-hmm. When it has a is but, the claim about all matter or just human flesh? Is it, it, well, it does say all matter and all. That's where I would reject it categorically because I mean that has to include inert objects as well. The, the what? That would have to include inert objects as well that don't have a will <laughs> that aren't doing anything they're just sitting there mm-hmm. and so Other I would say as the, as the conclusion to say that all matter is evil would be a categorically rejectable other than I could I could I could I could go along with an argument that says that even the earth has been corrupted because it's in decay you know it's and and uh, the universe is in constant decay which I believe, I believe, biblically, that it was that what caused that was sin, the original sin, the Adam sin. Then, because it says that, that all of the creation is crying out, groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And so, you know, I mean, I can see the, the, the I can see their point that okay, all matter or all you know all anything that we see physically. Is evil. Well, I would I would say it better is that it's corrupted. It's been corrupted, which doesn't mean that it's evil per se. It's just that it's been corrupted, which is evil. But you know, it's it's a splitting of a hair. But if somebody comes in and tells you two truths and a lie, the lie is hard to is hard to weed out because the truths are so okay. I can do that. I can do that. It's the same way when somebody knocks on your door and says, "Hi, I want you to hear my my philosophy, my thought," and they tell you a couple of things that sound like what you believe, and then they then they slip in they they forget to slip in the thing that they also believe that does not line up. But all right, wow, stick myself in the eye with that. So, so this, uh, philosophy that taught matter was evil and spirit was good, they taught. Gnosticism, a dualism which promoted a clear separation between the mirror, the material and the spirit world. So they said that there was a definite split between things that were physical. So anything physical that you see is evil. And the spiritual, the spiritual was the spirit of a man, the, the, the spirit that lived within within you. But that spirit was subject to the physical until something happened. And, they'll, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But because of that, because there was a clear separation between the material and the spiritual world, Christian Gnostics said since matter was evil, God could not really have, have created or could not have been incarnate in a human body. So, because the human body was evil, God couldn't have showed up in one. Here's where it starts to break down. Because, what is James? Uh, James? First John. What does First John say? Anybody know? The word became flesh. That's John. John chapter 1 says the word became flesh. First John, how does it say to, to test the spirits? Oh, they have to they have to be able to say Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, it says any spirit that denies that Jesus came in the flesh. Yeah. He would, John was also dealing with Gnosticism, so you see where he gets that from. 
or why he has why he says what he says because he was dealing with Gnostic thought that was saying, okay, Christ really didn't come in a physical body. Is it towards the beginning or the end? First John? Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> All right. Now, let's keep following this train of thought because this is important. This is why this is important. It's in First John 4. Ah, there we go. So, he could not really come in the flesh, in a human body. He only appeared in human form and only appeared to suffer. It was an illusion. It was stated that when Jesus walked on the stand, this is one of their belief, that one of when Jesus walked on the sand, you could know that it was him by seeing that his footprint that his footprints were not left on the sand. He did not have, he did, and that was a miracle. That's why he could perform miracles, because he was not physical. In this, Jesus would be a pure spiritual being in an evil world and would not be contaminated by it. So knowing what we know theologically, and we haven't gotten to Jesus yet in our theology teachings, that'll be in the month of March, we're going to talk specifically about who Jesus is and what, why Jesus had to be who he was and how he became who he was and all of that sort of deal. But what do you know already about theology that says that there's a big problem if Jesus only came spiritually? Well, he couldn't have died for our sins. He couldn't yes. have died. He couldn't have shed his blood. He couldn't have shed blood. He wouldn't have been resurrected. He wouldn't have been able to. He would have been able to interact. Correct? Yeah. Sinless. He would have been sinless because that 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 doesn't fall apart in their teaching. But the blood falls apart in the teaching, and the the death on the cross, and the payment of sin, and every because. He was tempted in every way. He would be tempted though too, and yet without sin. Right. So if he was a spirit and. That was not actually a temptation. Mm-hmm. But kind of invalidates that. But here's go ahead. the virgin birth. The virgin birth, absolutely. And that there, there, I may get to some some things about that. There, they, there are a number of books, writings, that they would have included in and did include in their teachings. And one of them was on the birth of Mary, about who Mary was, and you know specifically and. But it's it's not scripture. So, was you just talking about the not leaving footprints in the sand? Is that is that in the trying to combine the the two together? Because I mean, if they if they thought all matter was evil, and now they're trying to bring Jesus in as only a spirit, that sounds like that's that's part of the right. And so because because he was together. not because he was only a spirit, he wouldn't leave tracks on the ground. Where do they get that? From? That's not biblical. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's, they made that up? They make it up. I mean, it's, it's extra so that, biblical. That sounds like an extension of a, a purely just matter is evil and spirit yep. is good, and then they're trying to mix with the teaching of Jesus, and they have to come to some ridiculous mm-hmm. explanation for that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's the difference between Christianity well, and Judaism and other religions. Almost all the other religions that I've, well, I should say, all of them that I've studied at all, they've got stuff they just made up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. so. Yes, absolutely. All right. So the other thing, so their 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 core belief was that matter was evil, spirit was good. So God could not have come in the form of a man. Jesus then could not have been. He was God, but he was purely spirit, which completely messes up salvation. (laughs) Bottom line, it completely messes up salvation. But then they added this teaching on top of it. They also believed, and this was one of their core beliefs, they believed that there was a, a secret knowledge that only those who were truly elect was given. So, if you were truly elect, God would give you this secret knowledge, and it was that secret knowledge that saved you, 
not the blood of Christ. Now, does God give us knowledge? Yes. Sure he does. Does God even at times give us things that we don't understand or didn't didn't know or really didn't know before but he reveals him you know reveals to us by his spirit? Yes. yes. But you can see where this is all of a sudden a pitfall. I, I got okay so I come into town. I come into this little burb of office dumb. <laughs> And you're all living here, and I said, I'm here to preach the gospel to you. Uh, I believe that all matter is evil and, and that the spirit is good, and you're going, Amen. I agree with that. But I've heard those teachings before. You know, Jesus taught that, or something like it. Uh, yeah, the thing is, though, that Jesus was, was this. But here's the kicker, guys God is going to give you secret knowledge, and when you know that secret knowledge, then you're truly saved. And if you don't know the secret knowledge, then. You're not saved. Okay? So, I have that secret knowledge. God has given that to me. How about you? Does he, do you know? I'm so unwhacked. Sorry. <laughs> Can you name David Crush? <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you? Do you know the secret knowledge? Just the secret handshake, that's it. Yeah. Do, you, do, you know, do you know the secret knowledge? Yes, sir. See? There's another one. Is there a spaceship waiting for us? <laughs> <laughs> but do you see the interesting thing is, all you have to say is, I know. Because you don't have to tell anybody what it is. Because it's a secret. Because it's a secret. <laughs> you, you don't actually tell anybody. It's a lie. Yes, I do. I know. But then the whole time you're always wondering, do I really know? Even the ones who are supposed to know, do they, you know, it is a, it is, you can see how it was tearing people apart though. I mean, there's, there's a certain level of, I know something that nobody else knows. Well, it flies in the face of Scripture, right in the face of it. Mm-hmm. Well, it says that you will teach men, um, I can't remember it verbatim, but he will teach us. Sure. He said, I'll send the Holy Spirit, and he'll reveal all truth. He'll <coughs> reveal what I know, what, or he'll reveal my knowledge to you. I, you know, he will lead you into all truth. He'll, you know. But there's a, there is a certain level of, huh, I know the secret knowledge. Do you know the secret knowledge? You don't. Oh, that's too bad. There's a there's a pride issue that that comes into play. You can see how it would feed into some people's lives. Thankfully, we have enough scripture to to actually put this in balance because the, there is scripture that tends to support that kind of direction. But we also have scripture about faith like a child, and that's that's a really good one to keep in mind. That if a if a childlike faith is Sufficient for for a child to be saved, they obviously don't understand the complex workings of things. I mean, even in the physical world, they don't understand how things work. They just believe what they're told, and they just take it on faith. And so, if that was actually um, specifically given as an example by Jesus Himself, that unless you become like one of these children, you shall in no way of God, that that was Jesus specifically confronting this. Well, you have to reach a certain level of understanding, and in order to actually say he was kind of countering that himself very specifically. Not all at once. No, don't do all at once. So, so that secret knowledge is a dangerous thing, but that's why. Paul had to write this letter, and John wrote his letters, and, and was to combat those thoughts that, no, here's what we know, here's what we know to be true, and doing it from a from a relationship with Christ rather than some secret uh, information. Um, they considered themselves superior to the average Christian. Gnostics, prior to Christianity, taught that man was composed of body, body soul, and spirit. That's what we teach. So it isn't it wasn't a new thought, but the way they taught it was different, and the wrong, a, a different basis for doing so. That the body and soul are man's earthly existence, and that they were considered evil. Enclosed in a man's soul, though, is the spirit, a divine substance of man. This spirit was asleep and ignorant and needed to be awakened. It could only be liberated by this special knowledge. 
Well, we do have a secret, but that secret is Jesus Christ. The Gnostics, though, wouldn't tell you that it's Jesus Christ. So you see, that's the, 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 the next thing is, they have a secret knowledge, but they won't tell you to help you. Well, we have a secret knowledge, and we'll tell you. His name is Jesus. It, is a, it's a, it was a secret hidden from the foundations of the earth. Yet, we're now, we're, now we're broadcasting it everywhere in the world at all times. We're b- desiring to. All right. This teaching, interestingly enough, and here's where they're mixing these things together, this teaching is also found in the Kabbalah, which is a Jewish uh, mysticism uh, book of, of mysticism. So, to overcome the indulgence of the flesh, the Gnostics taught a false philosophy which denied the all-sufficiency and the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Their answer was not Jesus. In actuality, they said that Jesus did not have the answer. And, it, and eventually what they did was completely push Jesus out of the picture. It didn't start that way, and that's, that's what Gnosticism would do, is it would come in, it would assimilate into a community, into a belief system, and then it would eventually push out whatever the, the, the other belief system was that was not their secret knowledge. But, in Colossians chapter 2, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, 2 verse 8, Paul wrote, In him all, or in him dwells all the fullness of the deity bodily. When he said that, it was a direct rebuttal against the Gnostics. He was saying that the fullness of God was in a human body, a real human body. John talks about that you must acknowledge that he came in the flesh. It is important. Why, do, why is it important? Because you mean you think, oh, come on now. Do I have to believe that? No. It, it is absolutely vital. The reason being is, is because of the other arguments that have come in over time that have tried to say, no, that's not the case. And if he didn't come in the flesh, he couldn't have blood and died for us. He couldn't have, he couldn't have the sin could not have been uh, forgiven because of there, there was no bloodshed. It breaks down really quick if we don't have these things solidly in place. All right. Ethical behavior among the Gnostics were on two ends of the spectrum. Some tried to separate themselves from all earthly evil in order to avoid contamination. Asceticism. Completely cloister yourself, not take anything, take as little into yourself or around yourself that has anything to do with the world. <clears throat> Very plain dress, you wouldn't have anything of value, you, you wouldn't uh, even interact with people because they're evil. Why would you interact with a, with a body that's evil? If I really believe this stuff, then I'm completely cloistered. So, <clears throat> so um, like Amish? Yeah. Would that be... That's what I was thinking. It's, it's a form of asceticism. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. And, and not all asceticism is bad. You know, um, We do teach a level of asceticism that there are certain things we don't do. But it's not that we don't do them because... How do I say it? Because I, that's what saves us. Yeah, that's the better. That's a good way to say it. We don't not do them because it saves us. We don't do them. <laughs> Start thinking triangularly. We don't do them because we want to please Christ. We want we we want to live holy lives. We want to live uh, a life dedicated to Him, and so. We're not going to do something evil because we want to honor him. We don't do it because we think that's how we get saved. That's, that's how we get rid of the, the evil in our lives. Well, we don't do them because we are holy. We're set apart. Instead of not doing them to make us holy. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I should have had you say it first. Right? That would have been a lot quicker. <laughs> So some of them believed that that it was to, that they needed to avoid contamination. The other half of the Gnostics believed that do whatever you want because this body is going to get destroyed anyway. They're liberta- libertarians. I, as long as you don't hurt me, I don't hurt you. We can do whatever we want. Well, we can see where that leads pretty quickly. So the exclusive spiritual knowledge meant that having the freedom to participate in all sorts of indulgences. 
Since they had received divine knowledge and were enlightened, it didn't matter how they lived in the body because the flesh was evil. I mean, hello, who wouldn't want that as a religion? I mean, if that's if there was no truth, then that would be a great way to live. So, the Gnostic or the Christian Gnostic teaching is traced to um, Simon Magnus, a magician in Samaria. <clears throat> he is said to have written the Gnostic work, the Great Revelation, in which in which Simon is the Messiah, not Jesus. It's amazing how quickly it moves from Jesus is not the Messiah to oh I'm the Messiah. I mean that's that's uh, isn't that how most uh, other religions begin? He preached that those who followed him would not die, and that instead of Jesus being crucified, it was him, Simon. And he was one of the the early leaders of the Gnostics. So their philosophical, philosophical system had a structure of emanations that began with God. So God was God. But then he began to make more of himself. And Jesus was one of them. That's how, when we talked about Trinity, who was I talking to Trinity? Talking that, that the Holy Spirit was another form that God created of himself. And that Jesus was a form created of himself. And that when, so that when he created Jesus, he wasn't physical, he was spiritual. Now, I just wrote the teaching for two weeks from now on, on, uh, on the Trinity. And, oh my goodness, if you want to make your mind hurt, and uh, I was just all the way through, I'm begging for a real, clear, straight answer. Lord, let me give people, let me be the one to figure this out and... <coughs> To be able to once and for all lay this to rest, and at the end my head still hurt, and I came to a quote, and I'll see if I can remember the, the exact quote. It says, if you try to figure out the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. If you deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is amazing. That was just, it's a fantastic quote. But... So after the whole teaching, we'll still have no idea exactly how it works. But what I know it isn't was God creating more of himself. Because one of the core teachings of the idea of the Trinity was that they all always existed. It wasn't just God the Father who always existed. Because some people use the... the, the, uh, the verse that says, the only begotten Son of God, that begotten isn't, he bore, he, he bore him. Because who, he, to, have, to have a son, you know, I, I have begotten Ethan. Well, Deb really did, but... <laughs> but because I had Deb, you know, and God, the idea that, that Jesus was his son, it was his son, but he's also God. I mean, it's so you can never separate the fact that Jesus is as much God as God is, God the Father is, and that the Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father and Jesus are. They're all co-equal. They're 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 not interchangeable because they have a very distinct personality. But that they are in such unity that they're inseparable. They're always inseparable. But they also always, they are all, they have always all existed from, from the beginning of eternity or from the eternity to eternity. And if that's you, a, that's a to just box the mind, something that was never created. Mm hmm. Always existed. Yeah. Well, but for God to love, he has to be a trinity. Or at least a twity. (laughs) (laughs) Because you can't have love if you're just a single. Well, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) We're here. You're a part of us. Ready for (laughs) a 
<laughs> so yeah, exactly. So, all right. Since matter was evil, God could not have created the world. Was another belief that so then you can see where they, if 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 you have that belief system, there's you, your Big Bang theory. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense then. Okay. Oh, well then, okay. So then, then it did just happen. God was observing it when it happened, though. You know, and so. Everything starts to break down. Then Genesis doesn't apply, and then if Genesis doesn't apply, then the next thing doesn't apply, and the next thing, you know, it, it, it all starts breaking down quite quickly. So, once he had a series of what they called emanations becoming, becoming the next entity, then this divine spirit called an aeon... It starts getting really weird. United himself to the material body of Jesus. The, the material body of Jesus. Then he descended from the heavenly stratosphere and united himself with a person whose body was formed out of psychic substance. Wouldn't Whoopi Goldberg? Yeah, exactly. And then what was the what was the what's her name? Uh, the other one. The other star who Shirley McLean. Shirley then Shirley McLean jumped out of a, out of a cake, and uh, <clears throat> so. Let's hope nobody starts this in the middle of this recording. Exactly. We should every once in a while we should have a disclaimer. <laughs> this is not truth. We are talking about Gnosticism, so do not uh, start throwing away your Bible and picking up glowing beads or whatever. Energy balls or whatever you want to. So, bottom line, they were saying that God was never human. But which is a core belief of true Christianity was that Christ was absolutely, completely human as well as completely God at the same time. And you see now where these where these doctrinal stances come from. They don't just come out of the out of the air. Why do we have to believe that God was or that Jesus? Was God? Why do we have to believe that Jesus um, came in the flesh? Why is that such a big deal? Because people have tried to pull Christianity away from the truth, and we must have something to we must have something to wrap our hands around. Because, and we'll, you know, I'm, I'm getting just a tad ahead of myself, but I have to, I need to, because it fits perfectly. There are belief systems that call themselves Christianity Christianity today that believe these very things. Mm-hmm. And we and we need to be able to recognize that to be able to know what truth is today. Gnosticism has gotten has has brought itself back into Christianity over the past couple of uh, centuries past past 300 or 3 centuries in the form of Mormonism. Mormonism, God is God. He then uh, became, or, or he begot, begot Jesus, who was not God, but he was his son. And he's not, he, Jesus eventually became God, and that's the path that we're going to follow in becoming gods. But you can see there's a flavor of Gnosticism in that. So Mormonism. Jehovah's Witness does not believe that Jesus was God. They believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He was a prophet, but he was... So you see these... It, it's subtle. You know, they believe in Jesus. They believe in that he was God's Son. But they don't believe he was God. And if he's not God, then then we're in trouble. Because it all breaks down. I think one of the very dangerous things about it is when I was a you know baby Christian... And I would hear that, you know, I thought it was cool. And mm-hmm. I thought it was a very devout sect of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, I was drawn to it to want to to learn more about it. And, uh, you know, luckily, by the grace of God, 
you know, I was led away from it. But Amen. Praise God. very dangerous that way. Who's the one that says Jesus and Satan are brothers? The uh, Mormons. I guess the Mormons, yeah. yeah. I don't know for sure, but... Hmm? One of those two. Yeah, I don't remember which one. Okay. Would be interesting. Yeah, you can put somebody planning to look it up. Yeah, I can't remember. So, question. Mm-hmm. For... For that, do they still believe that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins? They believe, they yeah, okay, that's a very good question. Yes, but what actually happened is not that his death, the shedding of his blood, and his resurrection saved us. They believe that what he did was to show us how we must live our lives so that we can save ourselves. Because a Mormon believes that it's through hard work and dedication and being a good person is how you achieve godhood. So, when they die, they become gods? Eventually, yes. The six virgins, too? No, they don't get that's 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 no. the uh, that's Muslims. Only the women become gods in Mormonism. What do the women become? It's Mormon. Pregnant. <laughs> more, more. That's very fortunate. No, really, that's what they get is their um, husband can allow them to come, and then they stay eternally pregnant to populate the planet they get. Yeah, because then, then then they then they create their own planet, and then they they get to populate it, and then they're god. See, then they're God of that planet. So, it's Mormonism. <laughs> it is Mormonism? Yeah. It says that the Mormon teaching that uh, Christ and Satan are brothers is based on their concept of God being the father of all pre-existing spirits. So, so yeah, when my, and I think, and I think I've told this in here, when my grandpa died, my grandpa had three daughters. <coughs> my mom was the oldest, and she was born again. My one aunt was a Mormon, married into the Mormon church. And then my third aunt was an atheist. And so when, when my grandpa was dying, I went to visit him and I was sitting there and we were talking and he says, John, he says, let me ask you a question. He says, I've got one daughter who's a Christian, I've got one daughter who's a Mormon, and I've got one daughter who's an atheist. Which one of them's right? And I said, well, grandpa, what do you think? And he goes, I believe that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for my sins, and that only through him I have salvation. And I said, I think you're okay, Grandpa. I think you're doing all right. So then he dies, and we get to the funeral. And my sister-in-law gets up and says that I know that Grandpa's in heaven because he was born again, and he, that, that, he, that because of the, what Jesus did on the cross, he's in heaven. And then my cousin got up and said that I know that Grandpa, because he's Mormon, he says, I, I know that Grandpa's in heaven because he was a good man and he worked hard and he took care of his family and, and he, he's, he, he proved himself a, a worthy member of, of heaven. And then the Lutheran pastor got up and said, I know that Grandpa, or that Hap, Hap was his nickname, I know that Hap is in, in heaven because he was baptized into the Lutheran church. So I turned to my brother and I went, he's in. <laughs> if anybody's in, he's in. So now the, the whole front row is laughing. All the pallbearers are laughing because you know. But it was Grandpa would have loved it. So, all right. Salvation to the Gnostics. Salvation came by knowledge and experience. Those who did not have this knowledge were associated with ignorance. They received direct revelation from the Spirit which was more important than the word. So, that is that was that original. Now, taking it one step further. Gnosticism is just another form of new age. Taking two, three, four different belief systems, pulling them all together, circling it up and then spewing it back out and whatever comes out is, is what they believe. It's not new. The very first form of New Age was the garden, the temptation in the garden. That was when, when, when Satan said, did God really say? That was the first introduction of New Age 
thinking because he was taking knowledge. Did God really say? Did In your understanding, did God really say? And he's introducing that as truth. And the problem was Adam and Eve, well, Eve first bought it. She believed it. It is the most recent repeat of the second oldest religion, the, the religion or the spirituality of the serpent. Its impulse is foreign to none of us. The ancient or the appeal of ancient indeed, it's, or the, the appeal is that it's ancient. I'm getting some kind of knowledge that's been lost. I've got, I'm getting some kind of knowledge that's been hidden. I'm getting something, some kind of knowledge that's coming from somewhere else and that appeals to us. Especially if I'm getting it and you're not. That makes me superior to you. That's what the Gnostics believed. Um, Human pride is tickled. The New Age movement promotes a belief in monism. Monism is a belief that all is one. That everything is interrelated. Interdependent and interpenetrating. It promotes the, the idea that humanity, nature, and God are not separate from one another, not separate from each other, but are one. So, when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, and all the Father has is mine, in truth, I am the Christ of God, that he, um, that Jesus was, was playing into that, and they would use those kinds of things to, to uh, bolster up Gnosticism. So, um, nothing is new. It's the same old, same old. It's been, it's been said before, it'll be said again. So, what does Colossians... I, so I, wanted to, I wanted to give you a basis of why was Paul writing this. He was dealing with that kind of thought. And so now, when we read this, we're going to start seeing over and over again how Paul was attacking it, how he was how he was building up the truth, how he was making it so that that it was very evident to them that truth is truth and lie was lie. The letter challenges the belief in Colossae to look solely to the divinity of Jesus Christ. One of the main themes of Colossians is Jesus Christ is God. Over and over and over again, it talks about that. Um, And that through him you are saved. In it, Paul refutes Gnosticism um, and presents Jesus as God and creator of the universe. He emphasizes the importance of Jesus as the Savior, and only his blood is what saves us. Very important that that's like that. Here are some noteworthy passages. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Who wants to read that? Somebody want to read that to us? Colossians 1, 15 through 18. 18. And we'll talk about this one next week. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is supreme over all creation. Because in connection with Him were created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones, lordships, rulers, or authorities, they have all been created through Him and for Him. He existed before all things, and He holds everything together. Also, He is head of the body, the messianic community of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might hold first place in everything. You can hear direct attack on Gnosticism. He created the invisible as well as the visible. He says that over, he said that a couple times in, in that short passage. He created everything. He was before everything. He was, it was, huh? Alpha. Alpha. And Omega. Exactly. So he, it, in that passage right there, he is directly talking to Gnostics. Jesus is God. He is, because it talks about that the, the divinity uh, embodies him in the physical and so on. So it's very clear that this is who he's talking to. Colossians 2 8 and 9, someone. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the principles of this would rather word world rather than on Christ. That's right. Straight up, it's not about how it's not about 
philosophies or, or secret knowledge or any of those kinds of things. It's about Christ. That's what this is about. And then also Colossians chapter 3, 15 through 17. Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. <laughs> Amen. So it's a calling of people to Christ. Reminder that it is Christ that is the answer. It is not human philosophy. All right. So what can we learn from Colossians? Although you might not feel tempted by Gnosticism or the specific heresies described here, this letter is remarkably relevant to us today. Its central premise is that humans cannot achieve salvation through their own works, ideas, or accomplishments. We can't improve on Christianity by adding to its ideas or philosophies from other sources, no matter how well-intentioned they are. Paul's letter to the Colossians reminds us that there is absolute truth in Christianity. There is no need to look elsewhere for salvation. And that is what we deal with every day. That there is more. There's something else. That, that Christianity is too simple. It's too... Ouch. It's, it wasn't. I saw who it was. It was Ethan? It wasn't. It was Ethan. He'd be in here right now. So, it, we deal with the same things today. Secret knowledge, extra revelation, this, that. Adding to Christianity... We don't need it. It, it, is, it is what it is, and it is enough. It is, it is sufficient. This should be one of the number one books that mm-hmm. people should yeah. know, for sure. Absolutely. I, uh, I think we have one of the same books. It says, um, shoot, where does it It talks about the Christology. Where does it say? Wow. something. The high Christology of Colossians has been compared to John's latter concept of Christ as the Creator Logos. Just speaking of Colossians, so yeah. Yep. So, just some questions, so that as we go into this next week, something to think about. How do you keep an eye out for heretical teachings? How do you do that? What What is the best way to prepare yourself against heretical? Or heresy that's being taught. Know the word. Know the word. Know what the word says. Because as soon as then you hear it, you go, "Mm, that's not what it says. This is what it says. Knowing the word. Absolutely. And be led by the Spirit. And be led by the Spirit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you ever tried, perhaps unwittingly, to complicate the message of salvation? If so, how? Um, and what helped you to recognize that? Which the, uh, recognize what you were doing? So, have you ever, have you, or have you ever seen somebody try to complicate salvation? Yes. Legalism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can all be legalistic. Mm-hmm. You know, my preferences become my rules. Mm-hmm. And then my rules become. My expectation for you, and then my rules become my you know my rules for you, and then that you know, becomes a, a. And then if you run into someone who's not thinking for themselves, not listening to the Holy Spirit for themselves, then they'll buy into that because it sounds right. It sounds okay. That sounds holy. I want to uh, like you were saying. I want to aspire to that. It sounds like a devout individual. They're you know they're good people. They're devout people. That's the way I need to be then. Yeah. And then you buy into those things when in reality you're just you're digging yourself into a hole that was never supposed to be there in the first place. So alright. Very good. Other thoughts before we start delving into 
Colossians. This is going to be a fun book because um, because of these topics. You know, at least he isn't still having to deal with the uh, circumcision group. Now he's moved on to a different class of of liars. Um, but it's it's still the same thing. They're they're still liars. I think um, one way to stay focused is to to stay aware of the whole word. I know, like I see, seems like a lot of people get so focused on healings or um, like a, a lady I know, um, you know, demons around every corner. They get so focused on these one little areas that they get lost. Mm-hmm. And they get led, led astray that way. I think there was a there, there's a a movement. I, sh- I don't know if that's even the best way to say it. You know, the best way probably is that there's a sect close to here, within within thirty miles, that they right now are teaching, and these are these are main supposedly mainline people, old friends of mine from way back when, who are teaching. <clears throat> that God is still giving is now giving out secret information. That if you that if you if you line up with what they're what they're teaching and they and you allow God to take you and to give you secret special information that he'll he'll that he'll enlighten you and and a bunch of other things. I'm not going to get too specific, but nobody here even knows who they have. I, I, I'm very careful to not allow it to come anywhere near here. Because what it is is it's a new form of Gnosticism that they have this special knowledge, and we now you know God has given us this special revelation. Any special revelation must be in the Word, and then if that's the truth, if it's actually in the Word, it's not new, yeah. and it's not special. It's not secret either. And it's, in the word and it's not secret. <laughs> it's been revealed. But there are there are a lot of really wonderful sincere people who are falling into it because it seems really cool. And it's cool to have secret knowledge. In Revelation, when it says that you cannot add to or take away, it's speaking just about the book of Revelation, yes. the entire scriptures. Just the book of Revelation. Yeah, it seems like there's so few of, of us that believe. I mean, you know, so many other people all in, the, in the world, the United States, believe different you know, I mean, that you, it's in the, and there's so few of us, <laughs> you know, that um, believe the right thing, you yeah. know. So and it's getting to be less and less and less. Mm-hmm. We, what, what we believe was the norm for about three, four hundred years. That was the center of yeah. Christianity. And Christians believe little bits and pieces differently than others, baptisms, some other things. Yeah, even back in the 40s, 50s, it was... Oh, even back into the 1700s, 1600s, 14, 1500s, you know, it was, you know, before the before the Dark Ages, you know, at, at, the, Re- at the time of the Re- uh, Reformation, which was Luther, which was what, 14... 1499. Yeah, 1499. <coughs> I mean, that was the core. Salvation by grace alone, through right. faith alone, Christ alone, the blood of Christ alone. That was the core foundational teaching of Christendom, except for Catholicism. And, then it just, and now it's becoming less and less all the time. Yeah. Where We're we, the freaks. Yeah. Where do we go in Scripture then to back up no new uh, prophecies and things like that? I don't know that I'd have to really think about if there's a verse that says it straight out. Yeah, I don't. I don't recall. That. But if it. But if it. If something does not line up with scripture, then it's new. Then it's it's not. God is not going to give something that has no basis in what we what He's already given. Because then, how do we know? How do you check it? You know, you can't. Okay, ask them please not to run into the walls anymore. And do it nicely. I can see more will be needed. Part of Islam's belief in you know their eschatology for the last their last days um, is that 
some new scriptures will be discovered and that they will point to, you know, helping the Jews to realize that they were mistaken. And, um, and of course, Jesus is going to come as the Imam's sidekick. The, the, the and prophets. he's going to say, oh, no, I'm not to be worshipped. What are they doing? <clears throat> They're playing a game, some sort of back and forth running game. Oh. And they can do that all they want. And they are winning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at all costs. <laughs> but that's why it's important for us to know the word now, because um, you know there's going to be some archaeological discovery according to Islam. Well, it wouldn't be that hard for Satan to fabricate something like that. I mean, he knows what's buried in the dirt. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Yeah, we must know. We, it, we, every Christian has their own. They, they must know themselves, because we're not always going to be around each other when, when, something like that comes along. So, Amen. All right. Who would like to pray? Father God, we just thank you once again for the revelation knowledge. Pray that we use it in our everyday lives. Lord, make us conscious of your of your presence. We just praise you and worship you for uh, peace, forgiveness, salvation. Uh, may the words from your mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you. And Lord, we just pray for the Nietzsche family. We pray for. Uh, Pastor John's wife and the kids and everything uh, help them go through this transition uh, with their with Pastor John's father from life to life, and we just uh, ask you to help them uh, be be uh, strong and have peace and and joy too, uh, and just be with them through this. Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.